Hello, my name is Jody Lee Ma, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. The poem I'm going to start off the podcast today is called There's a Monster in the Nursery. It was written by Colin McNaughton, and it can be found in his book, uh, his poetry book, Making Friends with Frankenstein. Uh, Colin McNaughton is the British-born writer and illustrator of over 70 books for children. He's creator of the Preston Pig book series, uh, the poetry collection There's an Awful Lot of Weirdos in Our Neighborhood, and the author-illustrator for such books as We're Off to Look for Aliens and Jolly Roger and the Pirates of Captain Abdul. There's a Monster in the Nursery by Colin McNaughton There's a monster in the nursery. It's been asleep all day. It's three o'clock in the morning, and the monster wants to play. There's a monster in the nursery. What are we going to do? Wash it off and change it, cause the monster's done a poo. There's a monster in the nursery. It howls could wake the dead. Get some milk and warm it, cause the monster wants to be fed. There's a monster in the nursery. Parents in a muddle. What is it now? It's clean, it's fed. The monster wants a cuddle. There's a monster in the nursery. It's enough to make you weep. It's afternoon, it's time to play, but the monster's fast asleep. The little monster's fast asleep. My guest today is Jennifer Lynn Alvarez, author of several books for young readers, including the Pet Washer series, the Guardian Herd series, and uh, just out this May uh, in 2019, uh, the novel Across the Dark Water, which is the first book of her new trilogy, Riders of the Realm. The second book, Through the Untamed Sky, will come out March 26th. You can find Jennifer's website at www.jenniferlynnalvarez.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Jennifer. Thanks. It's great to be here. As I mentioned, your book, Across the Dark Water uh, just came out, and it's the first in this uh, new trilogy that you have. Can you talk a little bit about it, and maybe, and you don't want to give too much away, but uh, what we might look forward to in the trilogy, too? Sure. It is a um, kind of a spinoff from The Guardian Herd. And uh, so The Guardian Herd is a animal fantasy about herds of wild pegasi, or flying horses, in a land called Anak, and uh, there's four books in that series. And at the end of the Guardian Herd series, there's a group of pegasi who leave Anak and they fly across the ocean, and that's the dark water. It's called the dark water ocean. And they fly across the dark water because things aren't safe in Anak where they're from, in their homeland. So they cross the dark water looking, they, they kind of decide they, Pegasi would be safer if they spread onto other continents so that if there's ever danger in the future, that they'll, they'll have a better chance of survival. So this group leaves and they're in search for a new home. And when they arrive, this isn't a spoiler, when they arrive on the new continent, they're captured. Some of them are captured. So, and they're captured by humans. So they did not, in their um, homeland, there are no people. And they, they did know people existed in the West, but they did not know that people existed in the South. So they flew South and that's where um, several get captured. So the, the story is, there's a boy in the, uh, the clan that captures the Pegasi who wants to help them. And the Pegasi are very independent and wild, and they don't want to be helped or captured. 
So um, there's a friendship or there's trust that has to grow between the boy and one of these pegasi. Her name is Echo Frost. And she does not want a friend, <laughs> but she kind of needs one. So the story is uh, told from both of their points of view. And so as they try to kind of cross cultures and um, gain trust with each other, he tries to understand her and she tries to understand him. So, um, and along with that, there's all kinds of other dangers in this new place that they've landed. It's, it's a sort of a primitive jungle full of gigantic spiders, um, actual human giants, uh, dangerous clans of people that um, are at war with the giants, and lots of other sort of scary but fun sort of creatures that inhabit this world. Yeah, so they there's a lot that they have to watch out for and learn about. You mentioned this is an offshoot of the Guardian series. Uh, for somebody who might be coming to your books for the first time, uh, is, would they be able to start with this book, or is it important for them to read the previous books uh, first? Or is it is it something they can just pick up, and if they're really interested, they can go back and read the other books anyway? Yeah, that's a great question. They they could definitely just start with Writers of the Realm, and if they are get really interested in the Pegasi and where they came from, then the Guardian Herd series would serve as like backstory to these Pegasi who left. So they could uh, then go back. So you, you can read them in either order and it would be fine. Now, I'm always curious for uh, books that are uh, multiple books in a series, uh, how much um, advanced planning uh, do you go into? Do you have a sort of a general outline? You need, in other words, you know where you're going. Do you really detail every book out very carefully or, or what works best for you or does it change from series to series that's yeah that that's it's tough i'm sure every author does it different but um i i'm a pantser so i'm not an outliner I, I like to write by the seat of my pants so i'm a exploratory writer and so i don't have an outline so what works best for me is to write as fast as i can uh, meaning you know publishing you know you're working on your book two years before it comes out so if i can get my drafts done quickly and, and kind of figure out the story, then I can start the next draft, the next story, um, before the first book is published. And so I try to have, I remember when book one of the guardian herd was published, I was writing book four. And so, um, what's nice is, is, is until they're published, you can go back and change things in the earlier books. And so by, by writing quickly, I can kind of try to if I want to change something in book four or book three, I can still go back and fix it in book one or two. So, it, you know, it does look planned and that would not work if I didn't have a long publishing schedule that that would not work. But I still don't think I would get into outlining because for me, it, it's going to change anyway. So I really just have to explore through through these drafts and I've just learned to write them really quickly and then edit very slowly and yeah, and once I get it, kind of the themes and I get the idea of what's going to happen, I can have three sort of um, just quick, they're almost sketches. That's, they can be, I can write them that fast that they're, they almost are an outline, but they're just, they're much more detailed. I mean, they might be 50, 60,000 words, which is almost, you know, novel length, but then I'll play with them. Once I get them all trapped on paper, I can tweak them and play with them and, and make everything come out right in the end. So that's that's sort of my way of doing it is just a very uh, you could call it super detailed outlining 
and just working ahead of the publisher is the main thing. Because once the book is published, then nothing can be changed. So yeah, you don't want to write yourself into a hole. Now, all your books in, in one way or another, uh, whether they're in a more realistic or, or fantasy setting, they deal with animals. And, and that's certainly been a part of your background as well. And I'm wondering, what is it about animals that really captivates you in all these different ways and inspires you as a writer? I think it all goes back to the even the books I liked reading as a kid. I liked the animal books, and I always wanted to write animal books. And so that passion um, has just stayed with me. And I, as a child, I worked at vet clinics and I rehabilitated wildlife for the Humane Society. And I, I loved imagining what they might be thinking or, you know, they were like friends that you could make up what their thoughts were or their feelings were. And um, I always enjoyed that creative aspect of animals where, you know, you're, you're guessing a lot what they're thinking. So, okay, the, the other thing that's great about animals is the psychic space that you have uh, or that the reader has with these characters because they don't, they, they can identify with them, but they also, they're not people. So you can have a lot more action and drama and intensity with an, anim, with an animal series than with a human series. So you can kind of put your characters through things uh, that you could not really put a human child through, in a, a human character child through. So I also like that um, writing about animals really broadens the scope of what you can write about. And the child can relate but not identify because they're not an animal. So I, I like that element of danger and fantasy and excitement that animal fantasy books allow. So it's not surprising that one of your favorite uh, kids' books, the one you, you talk about today, is a book that features primarily animals, A Watership Down by Richard Adams, which was originally published in the UK in 1972. But it's a book that's still read. And I know most recently was made into a miniseries on Netflix, uh, something I haven't seen, actually. Uh, but for readers who haven't had a chance to read this book yet, can you talk a little bit uh, what it's about? Yeah, I, I love this book. Uh, in fact, I named one of my characters after... so. This book stars, uh, the two main characters are Hazel and Fiverr, and um, and Big Wig and some other characters. But I named one of my characters Hazelwind after Hazel from this book. And what it's about is it's a group of rabbits that they're, ho they're Warren. They live in a, in a Warren underground, and it, it becomes threatened by development from humans. And so Fiverr has a vision about this that this is going to happen. And he sees it, the whole field covered in blood. And so he convinces Hazel, his brother, and uh, Hazel convinces nine other rabbits to flee the Warren. Um, they can't get the rest of them to leave, but, but that, that group is able to leave. And um, they go on a quest to find a new safe Warren somewhere else. And so that's what the, the book is about. And it's and this book inspired, this is the book I believe that inspired me to become an animal fantasy writer. Um, because when I first heard about the story, I didn't see how it could be, uh, you know, I, when I heard there was a book about rabbits and that they're looking for a new home, I, I wasn't sure it was going to be that interesting. And so, I, and then when I saw the book as a child, I was probably 11. I, I, it's a, it's quite a thick book. It's, there's a lot of words and I, and I thought, and there's no illustrations. And I thought, 
Wow, that's a lot of, you know, description for just going to look for a new home. So I read it sort of thinking, not thinking I would enjoy it. And it, it's become one of my favorite books of all time. And um, it, it really showed me the magic that you know, an author, uh, the magic of an author's imagination to bring this story to life. And I think that, you know, when I thought about it later, my, um, my trilogy, Writers of the Realm, is similar in the sense that there's a group of wild animals that their homeland is threatened and then they they um, seek a new home and encounter all these dangers. So there's definitely parallels there that I noticed later, yeah. As you mentioned, it is a very big book and there's a lot of different characters that we encounter and um, can't possibly go through all of them. So we'll start with the two that you mentioned, uh, Hazel and Fiverr. They're the two main protagonists. They're very different characters. characters, very different characteristics, different outlooks, different skills that they have, too. What do they each bring to the story in their own different way? Well, Fiverr, Fiverr's, um, I always liked him. He's so cute. He was the runt of his litter, and he's the visionary. You know, he has visions. He can, he has imagination as well, and he has a vision for this new land where they can live that no one else can see. Then there's Hazel, who's his brother, and Hazel is much more down to earth. He's brave. He's loyal. He uh, thinks on his feet. He con- tends to consider the whole group. And he's, he becomes the leader of the, of the group that, that leaves. And so he brings leadership where his, his brother brings the vision. And so one, you know, he brings the execution. He, he's able to gather everyone together that will join him, that will believe him. And he's able to utilize each different rabbit's strengths in order to accomplish the goal. So he's, you know, he keeps that goal in mind. And I think, you know, through that, he earns everyone's respect. Fiverr, they, you know, might think is a little strange, but they definitely, he earns respect too, when it turns out that his visions are correct. Now it's 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 kind of a cliche that you hear an adventure story is only as good as its uh, villain. Although I suspect there's a little bit of truth to that. So in this book, um, and he doesn't appear till later in the book, but what does uh, General Woundwort bring to this story that um, makes it a really interesting story when he shows up? Yeah, he um, he's scary. He was scary. He's very scary, and he I think he's a perfect contrast to Hazelwind. Like he actually, he shows how a leader, another way that a leader could be, a a leader could be a tyrant. A leader could, could rely on strength and fear to control, to control the, the Warren. And, and that's what he does. And he's, he's also sort of, he's predictable in the sense that he's going to, he's predictable, but you also can't rely on him because he won't do what's best for the Warren. He, he's going to bully and he might even do things that are not good for the Warren. Like they're, they're overpopulated and Hazel and his group, they need some does. They didn't bring any females with them. And, uh, and he has extra, you know, and, and, and he could relieve some burden on his own uh, Warren by allowing some of them to leave, but he's just selfish and, you know, cruel and, and he keeps them because he doesn't want the other group to succeed. And he's not really looking at rabbits as a whole that, the species as a whole. He just cares about his Warren and keeping everybody under his control and totally opposite of Hazel, who, you know, I think would, would have totally allow people to leave his Warren if they wanted to go. And especially if they were overpopulated. And so, yeah, Woundwort, you know, he just relies on fear and bullying and it's, you know, his whole society or his Warren is kind of a, 
um, totalitarian, you know, society. And um, Hazel, Hazel, sorry, has more of a democracy. So I think they contrast each other as leaders, you know, and as people. And and through the two Warrens, you can see how each leader affects the rabbits. You know, one, the rabbits are scared and and want to escape, and in the other Warren. With Hazel, with Hazel, they're happy and they respect him. And he doesn't ever bully anyone. He's not even that big of a rabbit. So, and then I think the the war scenes were really scary when I was a kid. And so I think that I always really enjoyed the battle scenes. And he also he brought that danger, that uh, corporal danger, to the to the story that you know rabbits are dangerous and this is this is serious and they can hurt each other. So I, I didn't know that about rabbits. So that was really, it was kind of exciting too. Well, as we mentioned, this is a big book and a, a lot of things happen. There's a lot of memorable scenes and it's, it's kind of hard to narrow down to pick a particular part that stands out. Like if I had to choose one, you, sp- you spoke about the battle scenes. It's that uh, final battle between Bigwig and General Woundwar and the burrow uh, near the end of the novel, which is just almost unbearably tense in, in the way it's uh, laid out. Uh, do you have your own favorite moment in the novel out of all the, you know, so many moments that happen in it? No, oh, that's that's funny because that that was also one of my favorite moments was that that battle and the the kind of uh, ingenuity that the rabbits used. They worked together not just uh, with each other but with uh, some other animals, some other creatures that are not rabbits to overthrow Woundwort. And um, yeah, you're right. It was very tense. It was very exciting. I really enjoyed that. I also um, really enjoyed the the scene where they break out some tame rabbits and they meet some tame rabbits that are living in a hutch and, you know, bring them into the wild. And, and that was kind of fun because the tame rabbits were almost more like the child reading the story because they're, they don't know what it's like to be a wild rabbit. And they were a little nervous to go live in that environment, but, um, but they go. And so it's kind of a way for these, you know, new creatures to enter into the world who, and they don't know that much about it. Just, just like the reader. Um, so it was kind of exciting to see them get out of that hutch and know that they were going to go live wild. <laughs> that was fun too. Now, one thing I noticed, uh, we're reading this as an a- adult was uh, apart from all that, you know, scenes of excitement was the, the detail that, uh, Adams takes in describing the landscape. You know, this is a very specific place with very specific flora. And I, I believe that he actually had a, a, a particular location of English countryside in mind. He had a very specific place in mind. And I'm just wondering, what's the importance of that specificity in uh, bringing the story to life? Yeah, it's a it's a lesson in world in world building. Um, it, it is a real place. You're right. Um, he at one time pointed out on a map where it is, and and it it was super specific. And he knew all the names of the plants and and all the different creatures that live there. And he brought it. You know, he made it real for us. So I think that by putting in that detail, we could see it and believe it. And whether you're writing about a real place or a fantasy place, you, the writer needs to be able to do that for the reader because I've never been to this place in England. So to me, it's as fantasy as, you know, a Tolkien novel. And not all writers, you know, realize that even if you're writing about a contemporary place or something, a place on earth, that it still needs to be described because the reader has not probably been there. It is this uh, kind of a master class in world, world building, the detail that he puts in there. And, um, 
and it just builds the downs into the reader's mind so that you feel like you're there. Um, and it just also really enhances the, na- the just the natural aspect of the rabbits. Now, this is a, a something you touched on a little bit earlier in talking about your own work. Uh, but thinking about this book or even your own books, uh, what is the appeal of stories in which animals are the main character? Though they retain a lot of their animal-like qualities, but they also act in very recognizably human ways as well. Yeah, I think it's kind of magical. I mean, I think a lot of us, when we're kids, we, we want our animals to talk, and, and it's sort of a, a dream come true in one sense. Um, it also, like I said before, it gives you that space to kind of um, watch this animal have an adventure but not relate too deeply. Like, if it's scary, um, you don't have to worry it's going to happen to you when you're the child reading the story. But um, also, you know, animals in a sense, you know, because we write about them like they're people, they have feel, you know, they have feelings and they're on adventures and they have, you know, parents and things like that. But they are often have in a way they have superpowers because they have claws and teeth and some of them have wings. And so we get to write about uh, these characters doing things that we can't do. They can run, you know, really fast or they're very strong or they can swim um, or hold their, you know, they, they maybe they have gills and so they don't need to come up for air and so I think that they're, in a sense, they're, they're super creatures as well. So if, and then on top of that, we just have our favorite animals. Like I tend to write about horses because they are my favorite animal. But, uh, and then we're able to, to take these creatures that we love and then we can, you know, add this layer, this human story over them and watch them act it out in kind of their superhuman way. And I think all of it is just, it's just magical and fun. And I think that we can, we just can relate to them. I think they just kind of bring out our inner child in a sense. And so, you know, we can relate to them. And again, without identifying too deeply, they, it helps us suspend our disbelief. Now, this is kind of an unusual book, too. Um, and we've talked about it as a children's book, but sometimes you'll find it in the children's section. I know when I checked out this book to get ready for this interview, it was shelved in the adult section of my library. And sometimes in bookstores, you'll find it one and sometimes you'll find it other. I mean, is it one or the other or does, does it mean something different to young and older readers? I think that the latter, that probably means something different to, to both. It definitely was intended to be a children's book because he was telling this story to, I believe it was his nieces and it, you know, it was, it was meant to entertain children. So um, I think at its heart, it is a children's book, but you know, I like so many children's books, they are enjoyed by adults. Um, and as we grow up, they, it just takes on new meanings. Um, I recently heard somebody compare it to Brexit. So, um, you know, people are still finding new meanings in it. Um, as even as the world changes, they're finding new meanings in it. Yeah, I think it's a book that grows with you, which is pretty much the best thing you can ask for in a book. It's interesting you'd mentioned about uh, people reading things into it. I think Richard Adams um, said, I think famously at one point, said, um, there is no allegory in the story. It's just a story about rabbits and you shouldn't see anything in it. And, it, and now, should we take him at his word or or can we find what we want? And if we read it as an allegory, uh, what do you think it's uh, a story about? That's funny. Yeah, I, I think 
um, we can read into it whatever we want, just because when uh, once it's published, it belongs to the reader, and um, and so yeah, I think I think people really enjoy finding different things in it, and it helps them understand the world maybe in a little bit better. Um, I, for me, when when I was when I was eleven or twelve, when I read this book for the first time, I mean, I thought it was clearly about land development and the, you know, the dangers of, or not the dangers, but, um, what that, what that, the impact of land develop, land development on nature. And that's what I always thought it was about. And to me, that's what it seems almost most, I mean, there's a lot of political stuff in here, but, um, to me, it's really at its heart. It's about the dangers of forcing people out of their homes. And when, you know, when you develop land or whatever happens that, and a group has to move, they're at risk. They're at risk of other cultures, of other, you know, of being, of being attacked. They don't have a, they don't have shelter. They don't have protection. They lose their, um, in this case, they don't have females. They have no future. And, um, so for me, it, that, it was kind of a, I mean, that, that's what I always thought it was a warning against is, you know, just taking, just being more careful when you, encroach on somebody or something else being careful and cognizant of what the effects of that are going to be. And, um, I actually witnessed this recently myself when, uh, some, uh, neighbors, um, a development company bought this wild land and they ripped everything out and they put in a vineyard and it's a beautiful vineyard and it's still nature. But, um, when they when they did that, what I noticed was this mass exodus of animals um, and they were all getting hit by cars. So for like a month, the road had dead snakes and rabbits and all kinds of animals on it. I, almost every day something was, was there. And, and I remember thinking of Watership Down and I'm like, wow, it's, I'm watching it. You know, I'm not saying people should or should not, you know, develop land. Just that I think this book gives you empathy for the effect and the impact of that on nature. I think it's such a, a big book and talks about so many different themes that uh, something like that, as well as any number of things can be, uh, you can find, you know, real life uh, situations uh, that uh, parallel uh, what goes on with the book. Absolutely. Like I said, there's so much in there that, yeah, there, I've heard allegories, for, you know, all over the place. So yeah, people read, a, there's so much in this book and and people should really just read it and see what they think you know because it's really deep now are there any particular passages from the book that you'd uh, like to share this is actually from the beginning because i didn't really want any give any spoilers although probably a lot of people know the story but this is just it's from chapter two and this is a about it's this is a scene with hazel and fiverr in the darkness and warmth of the burrow, Hazel suddenly woke, struggling and kicking with his back legs. Something was attacking him. There was no smell of ferret or weasel. No instinct told him to run. His head cleared and he realized that he was alone except for Fiverr. It was Fiverr who was clambering over him, clawing and grabbing like a rabbit trying to climb a wire fence in a panic. Fiverr, Fiverr, wake up, you silly fellow. It's Hazel. You'll hurt me in a moment. Wake up. He held him down. Fiverr struggled and woke. Oh, Hazel, I was dreaming. It was dreadful. You were there. We were sitting on water going down a great deep stream. And then I realized we were on a board. 
like that board in the field, all white and covered with black lines. There were other rabbits there, bucks and does, but when I looked down, I saw the board was all made of bones and wire, and I screamed, and you said, swim, everybody swim, and then I was looking for you everywhere and trying to drag you out of a hole in the bank. I found you, but you said, the chief rabbit must go alone, and you floated away down a dark tunnel of water. Well, you've hurt my ribs anyway. Tunnel of water indeed. What rubbish. Can we go back to sleep now? Hazel, the danger, the bad thing, it hasn't gone away. It's here, all around us. Don't tell me to forget about it and go to sleep. We've got to get away before it's too late. Go away? From here, you mean? From the Warren? Yes, very soon. It doesn't matter where. Just you and I? No, everyone. The whole Warren. Don't be silly. They won't come. They'll say you're out of your wits. Then they'll be here when the bad thing comes. You must listen to me, Hazel. Believe me, something very bad is close upon us, and we ought to go away. Well, I suppose we'd better go see the chief rabbit, and you can tell him about it. Or I'll try to, but I don't expect he'll like the idea at all. Hazel led the way down the slope of the run and up toward the bramble curtain. He did not want to believe Fiverr, but he was afraid not to. What is it about that passage that appealed to you? I think, well, you know, it's definitely that moment that the characters' lives change. And when I, I still remember re- how I felt hearing that as a kid, and I, I felt that sort of anxiety of, you you have to go, you know, are they going to listen to Fiverr? Is anyone going to believe him? And I could tell that, Fi- you know, Hazel was going to believe him, He even even though he didn't want to. But I think that's where I got invested. That was the moment where, there was no way I was going to put the book down. I was going to finish. I had to know what was going to happen next. Well, Jennifer, uh, thank you so much for picking this book. Give me It's always nice to get a, a book I've read and give me a chance to reread it. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me about it today. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. You can find Jennifer's website at www.jenniferlynalvarez.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in a Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. <laughs>